what we have to do. We don't get to not do this work. We have to, it's part of our survival to do this work. And yet still we have to do this added work to do the work within our own communities. It's double labor. It's not okay. The black, the black kids that were coming out there with the poems and all the talented people us standing up, one thing they don't show enough of is black people standing together. And so you really, they never really show the black leaders leading, and there are many of them that are leading and have many followers. One thing that's always bothered me is like the friction between um, black people and people and, and Hispanic people. So if you're black or brown and you have a disability and you're going to school and there's a student resource officer there, it's not surprising when they handcuff an eight-year-old. Hi, welcome to Decolonize Everything. I'm Rebecca Mendoza-Nunziato and today we are talking about the movement. Um, the movement right now, what I mean is specifically Black Lives Matter and kind of the extension beyond that specific community and organization, particularly responding to the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, and of course, George Floyd. I know personally I've been kind of in the space between a lot of hopefulness and a lot of gratitude that folks are showing up. Um, and also a lot of cynicism and, I guess, curiosity leaning towards critique because I know that we've seen movements come and go, we've seen this kind of energy live and die, and so much of that, from my perspective, is about ultimately our comfort. Decolonization brings a few things to the movement. One thing is the collective consciousness. Paying attention to our coloniality means paying attention to our westernized, individualized, kind of atomized is one way to put it, um, framework. And this means that at the end of the day, the decisions I make, the pain I feel, the successes I experience are all about essentially me, maybe children, maybe, you know, a, a limited amount of family. And that's a result of, of a lot of years of stealing this collective view. I will say that I believe a lot of indigenous communities really have maintained this in some sense. Of course, capitalism and neocolonialism um, is an extractive mechanism that, that tries really hard to force people into individualism. We have to continue to decolonize not only our way of seeing and our way of um, thinking, but also our way of being because, you know, I, I do think we can march our way into a new way of thinking, but um, we have to support that. We have to support that with this new consciousness that says that when this is no longer <laughs> trendy, when the Instagram pictures are no longer some performative sign of my goodness, when I don't feel affected by this anymore, um, I must still show up. One way to bring the collective energy into the space 
um, in an ongoing way is to bring many voices into kind of a virtual circle. Um, because of COVID, of course, um, not able to actually gather in a circle in the way that maybe we would before. Uh, but this is a way of listening to many voices, many perspectives around the movement and around this moment. And um, it's an opportunity for us all to show up in this circle together to listen and learn and to continue to ask the questions, how am I working towards a new consciousness and liberation as a path forward? And how can I continue to wake up to the coloniality of everything around me? So I'm going to start by calling a few people from Denver, um, some folks I know and some folks I don't know, just to get a chorus of viewpoints and perspectives, a way of even decolonizing this concept of the interview. All right, let's call our first friend. Hello. Hey, this is Becca. Thanks for being willing to chat with me. So I'm Jasmine. Um, I'm actually in, well, I work as a waxer. I have my full cosmetology license, and I've also been a bartender and um, a hairstylist, but mostly just waxing. I appreciate it because I get to talk to different people all the time, which is really, and I've worked from, you know, South Denver. Now I'm in Aurora. I've also been in Westminster. And so with all the jobs that I've had, it's it's very, like, people-oriented, which is nice, especially in these times, because I can get different um, perspectives, which is kind of what you're doing. One of the things I'm curious about is is that very thing, is, like, what are you seeing in the world right now from your vantage point, um, yeah, in, in your work, but also just who you are as a person um, in the world? Like, what are you, what are you observing? So for some background on me, I am a mixed race person. I am a quarter black and the rest white, which just means that I look Hispanic. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend who was Hispanic and um, he found out that I was part black instead of, you know, being Hispanic. And then he said, oh, I always knew that you were an N word. And like, yeah. And so um, I guess like I've, I've experienced racism against you know black people and hispanic people mm -hmm. equally from white populations mm -hmm. and then i've experienced a lot of racism too from hispanic people against black people right and so that's yeah and i mean the bar that i used to work at was largely hispanic and then whenever like a black person would come in then there was a lot of issues there were mm -hmm. fights that would happen things like that and i just don't understand it so you're, you know? yeah, you're kind of like that secret agent. <laughs> um, yeah. I identify with that as well because I'm I'm mixed, and you do. It's interesting when you hear things when you hear people talking about groups of people they don't think you belong to, right? Yeah. So what from those experiences, like what do you think is like a a path, a path forward or an opportunity for like healing within that? So I think that it it does go into like what we're taught because I do believe that in this country we're taught racism mm. <clears throat> because of you know history is very whitewashed it's all very like things around race are kind of like yeah that happened but it's over now and like and it's fine and so then it like paints um you know 
people, people that are black and also Hispanic probably, and, you know, all sorts of people of color as just complaining over nothing. Um, And so, yeah. And so I think that, you know, it all, I'm super big into history and I think that it all kind of starts how, with how we teach history. Mm. Where did you learn history? I mean, I, you know, public schools, Jefferson (laughs) County. Well, but But, something, something caught your attention though, right? Because at least in my experience in public school, it wasn't like the history I was taught was like, wow, this is lighting me up. (laughs) No, absolutely not. So, um, because I had always knew that I I had always known that I was, um, mixed, but I didn't really, it didn't really mean much because I was like, whatever, it's just like browner than other kids and they don't have to wear sunscreen, which (laughs) is a lot you do. And I started, you know, reading about black history and, you know, the, the father of gynecology practicing on slaves and then also, you know, the triumphs and devastations mm-hmm. of black history. Uh, so I really, I mean, I just got books and started reading on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you see, like, I feel like right now, a lot of people, white, black, indigenous people of color, kind of across the board, we're saying like, it's time to read everyone. Like what, what do you think about that kind of movement as a place to start? Like, does that feel like true to your experience as, as a part of liberation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that because of the things that I've read and I mean, even things about, you know, how most of this country used to be Mexico, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that it's important to know these things so that we can all have more of a respect for each other and knowing that this country was truly built by all of us. Um, and, and you know, by kind of like getting rid of, I don't know, groups of people or whitewashing everything, then, you know, and then you have people saying, go back to your country when it's like, yeah. this is all of our country. Right. You know, you can't, you can't have this country without black people, without Hispanic people, without Chinese people, without indigenous people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you feel like you want, I guess we could say like folks in my community, the Latinx or Chicanx community to know about someone like you that that's passing. And um, yeah, I mean, I know that there's a lot of anti-blackness in our community and that's really, I feel like for the first time we're talking about that, (laughs) you know, which is, it's embarrassing, but like, at the same time, it's like, oh, it's about time. And so what what do you feel like you want people to know um, is something that you've seen kind of behind the curtain? Um, just that, you know, like I said, we're all in the same boat. These, these systems of oppression are crushing all of us. I mean, especially black and brown people, fairly equally. I mean, I think it's like a small disparity. And so by, you know, by dealing with this oppression, whether it's saying, you know, black lives matter and, and it's not, you know, centered around brown people, that it, it's still involved. It's still the same. Um, and by, by all of us helping each other to get out of this uh, system, I guess, that we are all, we would all be free. I mean, if you could get money out of prisons, then there's less incentive for, for prisons and for these detention centers. I mean, you know, you have in Arizona, they had the, um, you know, what the guy called a concentration camp. 
and that's you know that was a prison that was it's the same racism as the racism that you know is causing black people to get killed and it's also brown people getting killed so I just don't like you know just understand that you like you're no better or no worse than black people and if we can come together and bridge this gap then I think that we'd be in a better position to to make a better life for our you know children and children's children and everything yeah so I I guess I have one more follow-up question um so when you are working with white clients you kind of mentioned this this blend of like never wanting to deny who you are but also like being a little afraid to bring this up like do you worry about losing business or like making people mad or like how do you kind of engage with with folks when they don't seem to get it like I always kind of will feel out how they're feeling about it before talking about it mm, and yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah we learned to do know. that <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and then if they're more receptive to different ideas then I'll be like you know I'm a mixed person this is you know what's kind of happening from my perspective and what I've seen and yeah. then they'll say you know well, they shouldn't have burned down the police station or whatever. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, here's, like, this other part, too. Mm. So one of my favorite sort of things is, you know, if you're stranded on, on an island, then the first thing, you'll try to, like, send a note in a bottle. And then if nobody comes, then you'll, you know, try to write SOS out in the sand. And then if still nobody comes eventually, you're going to light a fire mm. uh, because you need help. And that's, you know, that's how I see these quote-unquote riots and everything well thank you for your time jasmine it's good to um good to hear your voice and learn from you and um i wish you well thank you and thank you for having me on i I was nervous but it was a good conversation oh it was great yeah i appreciate your willingness to share thank you yeah no problem have a good day all right bye-bye bye This is Shantae. Hey, it's Becca calling you from the studio. Yeah, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and kind of where you're coming from. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I always I always overthink things. How do I introduce myself? I'm Shantae. And I once heard from a very beautiful soul that, and I resonated with it, so I'll say it. I feel ultimately I am a spirit being who has been given the opportunity to live a human-based experience um, to impact other humans. And I'm always on a journey as a mother, as a sister, as a co-worker, as a community member, understanding what that means, that being indigenous of Africa, indigenous of the Americas, they saw themselves as um, and so I think I'm more and more or less apt to want to describe myself to a, a label. I know that sounds real like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, our labels are inadequate. So I think trying to redefine it is a worthy work. Tell me a little bit about like what, what feels like your, your central work in the world. Not that that's necessarily your employment, but kind of the deeper work that you're doing. No, absolutely. You know, I really believe that purpose is not what we do, of course. 
but it's essentially why we do and how we do what we do. So I guess I started realizing my purpose and what kind of really drives me um, a while ago, and I started calling myself kind of more of a bridge builder and connector. Mm. That's that's one. And then second, um, in many different realms, whether that's being called a prophetess, a truth teller, um, soothsayer, mm-hmm. uh, a person who sees, a seer. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like saying I'm a truth teller. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my two things that I feel like drive me and are essential to how I move and act yeah. every yeah. day. Yeah. I definitely see that from a distance, and I'm thankful to be able to see it a little closer today. Um, so when you say these these terms, truth-sayer, uh, prophetess, a seer, tell me a little bit about what are you seeing? What are you seeing in this moment? And maybe how is what you're seeing not the story that's being told? Mm. Mm. I think it's very easy to say that what I see is not being told in the way that I see it as much as it is not being told in the way that you see it um, because we are two things, a piece of a greater existence and inner working, inner working and connectedness. And we are also so many pieces within ourselves in how we are connected as well. So there's this intersectionality that one can easily say, uh, I hold a piece of an unseen part of this story. Yes. Um, And also understanding that my whole existence is a part of a greater story that's being played out right now as well. So I can say, you know, with folks that I I have close ties to between the Latinx and indigenous community, that is the, I would say, as I see, you know, things play out on social media, that's the untold story is um, this, these coordinated efforts to move as one, to move unified, mm. I think a lot of times get lost or they get co-opted right. by other meanings of what unity means for me is how I'm experiencing it and how I'm working in my individual work and then seeking to join collectively is community of color, color in unity, mm-hmm. working together, still fighting to, there's so much work, right. To be done in our own communities. Yeah. And yet at the same time, it's almost like, you feel like you got this one shot <laughs> to make mm. all the things happen and yeah. it won't happen without locking arms with others as well. And I feel like it can easily get co-opted by white majority sense of unity and their greater purpose, just to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can get miscommunicated, you know, in the race discussion right this is not a 
taking power. This is just us saying, let us be. Let us stand in who we are. Sorry, I get a little emotional. Let us. You know, we have so much of our own work to do that the likes of imperialism and white supremacy have ravaged on us. And we still take it up because it's part of our livelihood. It's part of what we have to do. We don't get to not do this work. We have It's part of our survival to do this work. And yet still we have to do this added work to do the work within our own communities. It's double labor. It's not okay. You know, and, and the thing is, is that we're not asking more. And I feel like sometimes it gets mistaken that we are trying to fight for some power to take something away from another instead of just us fighting to stand up in the power that we already know we have and not have that be batted down. Well, and to me, that's that decolonial piece, right? Is it's not, we're not trying to play a game of dominance. And so kind of what you're saying is that the unity isn't about depriving anyone else from anything, right? It's not about, it's not so much about power over. It's not. It's, It's standing, it's being able to just stand up in the power that we have and that me standing up is not taking a damn thing away from anyone else. Mm. Yep. You also mentioned being a bridge builder. I don't think that bridge building is always like this coddling thing. You know, it's actually a very intense and intentional thing. But um, there's a lot of talk about like this idea of like we can't call each other out and we have to like give each other the benefit of the doubt. And then there's this other side that's like we've been gentle for too long. We've centered whiteness, fragility for too long. So how do you personally like how are you seeing what's happening as someone who's both a truth teller and a bridge builder and kind of the tension inherent in that? Yeah, that's good. Um, For me, it's about where I'm active. I'm active as a truth teller to white supremacy. Mm. And I'm active as a bridge builder or, or seeking that within my own community. I have decided where how I act in what spaces. Yeah. Um, because you don't, you, you can't be both. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've for a long time tried to be, especially in the church, the church, you know, which uses so much language against people who are truth tellers, um, saying, well, you could tell this truth, <laughs> this yeah. boxed in truth. Yes. But don't you go outside of that because it's called what? Dissension and being divisive. And so now I know what spaces I'm truth-telling in and why. Like I said, it's all back about purpose. I share truth because I'm a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. I want to get down to the root of things. And you can't do that until you chop things down. Yeah. So, t- yeah. Talk to me about that. Do you feel like we're in a period of chopping things down? Are you seeing enough of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, definitely not seeing enough of it, right? Because right. we're we're in all these different spaces you just spoke to mm-hmm. that kind of hinder, right? These these two sided conversations yep. that go against each other and don't allow things to be broken down. And yet, at the same time, we have these structures that still exist. 
you know, I was speaking with a mentor of mine, and she was wisely saying, like, yeah, everybody's talking about, for instance, defund the police. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, but at the same time, if we truly understand that everything has been rooted in, in the structures that exist currently and we function in, everything that has has been rooted to serve um, in a white supremacist scope and, 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 and uh, to, to their success, uh, then we bring in social workers who have been groomed in those, those structures that actually aid the same goal. It's all the same goal. So we can't compartmentalize without having other plans. And this is where decolonization comes in so yeah. critically, I feel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I did a Facebook post engaging folks in conversation around how are we going to capture these times right yeah, now? Yeah, I saw that. And, and, my, and my wise friend, Kimi Mila, said, <laughs> we decolonize it. We stay committed to one another, essentially. That's mm-hmm. what she was saying through her words. We stay connected in community enough mm-hmm. to where we can continue to keep verbal and oral storytelling. This is why I love how you're doing what you're doing and how you started this time out by explaining why you're doing it this way because this is exactly the reflection of how we need to do things differently how we how the paper and pen has been used against us Mm -hmm. in communities of color even until today right now it's virtual Mm -hmm. you know absolutely reading and writing has been the great separator forever for us and um, but but also this whole thing of keeping oral traditions alive is so crucial because it also re-knits us as communities it bonds us I have to take time and space out to hear you mm. and also to be heard yes, I, yes. that's connection that's relationship building. That's what we know. Right. And we, I mean, truly, right, the media telling these stories are these snippets and these little sound bites. And, you know, there's so little context to, to what's really happening right in front of our, of our eyes. Um, and we don't even know how to listen to our neighbors, <laughs> you know. Mm. And I, I mm. think that's, that's part of this question of, like, how do we you know, there's a movement happening, and I believe in the movement. I also have to ask, how are we going to decolonize even how we do so- social movements? You know, because there's, it's it's messy. It's messy, and you know, mm-hmm. we learn as we go. So yeah, tell me, what do you what do you think about how this movement's unfolding? Like, what do you see within that? I see two things. So the first thing is just the fact that a dismantling does have to happen but it's in how it's done, right? In that in order to do it, it has to happen on both sides. It's the book of Mark chapter two, verse 22, speaking to old wineskins into new wine. What we've been doing, attempting to do is have these old white supremacist structures and we're trying to pour in new work, new thinking, even decolonized thinking. Mm-hmm. And we, it's been funded that way too, right? And what happens when you pour in new wine into old wineskins the skins burst and you lose it all. That's what we've been doing time and time again. And so naturally, yes, new wine skins need to come up, which means we need to let things burst. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. Things are bursting. Yeah. And we're losing it all. 
and, 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 and what we ought not to do is try and hold on to what's being lost. And who, this is the other half of the work, who is within these systems who are actually still trying to do this work while skins are bursting and falling away all around them? I work for a housing authority with a group of committed individuals two years ago that said, we're going to try and dismantle the belly of this beast inside out. There are people who exist who have this mindset, like myself, in systems. And I know that this may sound double speak, mm-hmm. right, where I'm saying let the systems burst, and yet, but we know that it's, we, we know that there's still folks in these systems that are yeah. here to try and do mm-hmm. the opposite of what the gears are turning to, right? And what ha- needs to happen is it's great that we have this protest energy. We've always needed it to keep it visible, and to keep pressure, right now, this protest energy is doing some things, to be honest. And then the other half of that protest energy now needs to go to supporting people who are also in these systems. What I hear you saying, I think, if I can connect this dot, is it's almost that those of us that that are awake to this, we are on the spectrum of, of being, you could say, like the new wine people. <laughs> and we've been in these old wineskins, Right. And we've been fighting this fight. And now there's this social movement, this protest energy, as you said, that is actually bursting things open. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't, I don't think of it as doublespeak because you're identifying the nuance of there's new wine people that have been there for a minute and, you know, have been waiting for some kind of massive, you know, bursting energy to come in so that we can continue to do the work. It does become complicated, though, when we want to dismantle and really interrupt the systems when there are people on the inside, right? <laughs> How do you mm-hmm. do that? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's, I think it's paying attention, you know, to it all. It's listening, once again, like I was saying, to one another. And, and, and it's hard, right, to keep all of this in view, you know, what you're going to stand for, what's coming at you, and you need to be ready to stand against, and then who you also need to be supporting. Yeah. You know, that's so good. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about who you need to be supporting. <laughs> you know, there's like a little bit of that, but it's mostly like, what are we destroying? Which is totally energy that I love and I'm all for it. But it is it's refreshing to be reminded that like there there has been work happening under the surface. And we need to like find those leaders and organizers and communities that um, that we can join. Right. The truth of the matter is, is that <clears throat> trauma is real. It impacts us. And so one thing we have to put in practice in our activism, in our resistance, is self-care. Yeah. Do you have any examples of, of practices or ways that you are finding that healing in that process the oya spirit i love i've I've been really embracing oya spirit the wind spirit just take me and let my thoughts just go with the wind and release it's a releasing activity for me yeah um because i'm a holder i hold a lot and uh, being able to release is huge yeah. Um, and, and also, um, you know, music and dance is huge. I have my African dance team sisters that we gather 
on Sundays we just started doing social distance mm-hmm. gathering because we can out mm-hmm. in the park. Yep. And and I think that is um, for me a meditative practice at times where you can do repetitive motion and hear drum beat and just let it get to your soul, to your spirit. That's huge for me. It sounds like these practices are really that range, right? Of like your mind, your soul, like your body and, and allowing healing in each of those realms and gosh, connecting each of those parts of ourselves. Right. Because I think our imperialist society just does everything in its power to force us into our heads. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I hear that those, yeah, the way that those practices can be so healing. So I've, I've like maybe one, one or two more questions and kind of, as you've said, you know, you've shared some of these things that are really healing for you. And I'm curious what feels heaviest right now in this, this moment of pandemic and uprising and just shifts, you know, deep shifts. What, what feels really heavy to you right now? Man, um, I think I'm going to be honest. Um, what I'm emotionally moving through a lot of times is the fragmentation of my people. I grieve how I have participated in that. And I don't know what it's going to look like to bring those pieces back together. I grieve for how that fragmentation has impacted our youth. I do. I, I, I grieve because I want us to see that it's not our fault. Mm. You know, like an abused child. And you say to them, it's not your fault. Mm. I just want to say to our people, even though we may do actions that are our choice, the basis of our choice sometimes is still not our fault. And if we would just Somebody told me it's not about where you sit. It's about and what you did right then. It's about the next step forward. What is your next best step forward? Uh, yeah, such such gentle words for such deep grief. And it's yeah, it's so hard to be to be gentle and hold that. You said like an abused child, right? Like we forget how deep the trauma goes. And in our, I think, in our deep cry and desire for revolution and, and change, we, yeah, we forget to engage that, that grief, like that stuff that sits at the, the base of our stomach, just like a rock, you know. <sighs> but that needs to be healed, also. That needs to be healed too. But we can, we can do it for one another. We just need to. Mm-hmm. I think when we have more practices like these of sitting with one another and hearing and receiving and sharing, mm-hmm. the healing journey begins, you know? Yes. 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 I mean, oh, the privilege even just to hear you share these things with me and to be able to share pieces of this with a broader community, it is, it's deeply healing because I have a hunch, Shante, that not enough people ask you... <laughs> what's the next best step forward and we need to hear your wisdom about all of these things gosh we need it so badly we're so 
we're so starved and we don't even see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Hard earned and really deep ancestral wisdom. You know, the things we're gifted and the things that we fight for. And yeah, it's, it's such a gift. So thank you. And so I just want to leave the words of Audrey Lord that I have just been in, trying to keep in my mind and in my spirit is that caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Oof. I'm going to feast on this conversation for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, equally, equally, Becca, thank you. Hi, my name is Yvette Plummer Burkhalter, and I am the executive director of Thrive Center, and we're an organization that helps families who have children with disabilities navigate the complex um, special education system. We've been around for 14 years, um, and we've been serving the metro area of Denver. And it's been challenging. It's been challenging for everybody. But particularly when we talk about marginalized people, um, it's even uh, more of a strain. And we realize that with the calls that we get from our families and with the George Floyd killing that all of us saw, Unfortunately, it's not new for the black community or the brown community. This is something that is just, it's just not new news. Um, but what's different about this um, police brutality, um, police killing, and the killing of a victim, a vic- an unarmed victim, is that the whole world at the same time is screaming justice. Justice for this man and for his family. Mm-hmm. We're entitled to having the police be there to protect us this is a white person so i'll talk to this person instead of shooting them first but this black person is a threat to me because they're black so i'm going to shoot first and ask questions later or maybe not even ask questions just keep my knee on their neck shooting a person who's running away and shooting a person in the back because you have a badge is inexcusable but we're the people we pay taxes we pay the police officers their salary i shouldn't pay somebody to you know that may kill my son because the color of his skin. If we add disability to that, because some of our disabilities have behavior issues with them, such as autism, um, ADHD, um, some learning disabilities can come with behavior issues. Um, There's several disabilities that come with behavior. So if you're black or brown and you have a disability, and you're going to school, and there's a student resource officer there, and they're not trained, these student resource officers are not trained in, in, child, in child development. They're trained to be out on the street. So it's not surprising when they handcuff an eight-year-old, or you know they come and they lean over and they're very intimidating when they're questioning your child and you're not there. That I don't think they belong to, in the school. So I'm really for anything to get them out, African-Americans, um, youth, particularly if they have disabilities, are three times uh, more to be disciplined harsher than their white counterpart. I can only explain that as implicit institutional racism. That's where why it happens that way. Um, they can have you can have two kids, one's white, one's black. They do the same thing, mouthing off to the teacher. 
You know, the white teacher may just try to handle it in the classroom. If it's a black kid, chances are they're going to call the student resource officer or call somebody or send them to the principal's office. If you're, you know, you're a white person and you feel like, yeah, I'm a white person who has resources. I really want to help this um, disparities. Look for grassroots black-led organizations, brown-led organizations who are small, grassroots, because we're there. You want your boots to the ground. It's grassroots. It's us. We hear the stories. I will tell you, I cry with families. I get angry with families. It's hard to be executive director of color. It just is. Um, you try to keep your organization going. Um, you're not hooked up like maybe your typical colleague who is white um, because it's just the way the system is. So I do hope that people who want to donate, please donate to grassroots organizations like myself who are led by leaders who are of color. George Floyd's death wasn't in vain. It wasn't. And that little girl who said, my daddy's making a difference. My daddy's important. She's right. You know, she's, you know, she lost her father, but we're going to make sure that it was not in vain. And all the other deaths and justice, injustices that were done to people, that that's not in vain. And I tell you, it does make me wonder, we got those on camera. What about the thousands, probably tens of thousands that we don't get in cam on camera or that don't die but are injured seriously because of under the hands of police brutality. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Will you introduce yourself? Just tell us like who you are and what you've been up to. Um, I am Laquita McCauley. Um, I'm originally from Alabama, but I've been in Denver for a little over 10 years. Um, raised my kids here. It's a beautiful state. Um, I really have really learned Colorado through the city. I moved to downtown Denver, so I got to experience all the excitement of the Broncos game yeah. <laughs> and the Six Flags. Yeah, but, you were right up in there. Yes, yeah. I really was. But I also got to see the other side, right, like the disparities, being across the street from um, millionaires, but there's public housing and watching gentrification happen right in front of me and, yeah. you know, seeing the kids in my community and go across the street and see the stark differences between yeah. kids in other communities. So I decided to get involved in some way. Okay. I want to talk about the movement. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> um, I know you're here for it. So tell me about, it's been two months. So... When things exploded, it was the last weekend of May. Was it the George Floyd? Yep. And that is where I, I feel like white America came out of the house pretty much yes. and came down. And Yeah. Um, well, tell me a little bit before about before that, because I know you you've been in this longer than it's been, a, you know, a flash in, in the media. Right. And also then we'll talk a little bit about what it's been like since then. OK. Yeah. I, I remember the first time. um that I was really moved to out of my bed and out of my home and out of my neighborhood to stand up for someone. It was the Tamir Rice um, and the Michael Brown case. And I remember 
researching um, local agencies and who was doing something about it. And I found that Black Lives Matter um, had a, a place here. Yeah. yeah, a chapter here. So I went and what they did was they did, they stayed outside for an hour for every black man killed that year. And we were out there for five days. Yep. Oh, I remember that. Five days. I remember um, that. That was out across from the city county building. Yes, and I remember seeing the black ma- uh, the police chief at the time, he yeah. and the mayor. And I rem- mayor. that was the first time I saw cops riding on the side of the trucks and, and yep. all of that good stuff. But, um, yeah, so I started a long time ago, and I made sure to get my kids out there involved. I even had some kids from the neighborhood come in yeah. and be involved. But I'm going to tell you, there was most, at the most, there was like 30 people. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, even a lot of them were white. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was kind of disappointing for me to yeah. to see, like, no one really turned out. And I think after that, the day after Trump was elected, everybody remembers the Million <laughs> Woman March. And I'm yeah. like, wow, <laughs> there's that many people out people here will that go care? <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. We really had the vagina caps. Yeah. So that was my first uh, look at the dis- the difference in policing mm-hmm. because at Black Lives oh. Matter, they were facing us like we were the criminals. With but, the riot gear. And then with the Women's March, they were wearing vagina hats. The cops were wearing vagina hats <laughs> with the white ladies. The cops did as well. And they yeah. like, were like moving traffic yeah. out of the way for yes. them. Yes. Like, Come yes, come forth. through. Look Let at me you guys. Catch you on the stop, back. stop all the traffic you want. <laughs> we'll stop the traffic for you, no problem. So it was just shocked. I was like, wow. Actually, I didn't know this is how this worked. Mm, another so, disparity, right? The yep. cops treat people protesting. And then all of a sudden, those million women went somewhere once all the racial speak started going, and they didn't show up again until now. The first week, I saw you every day. Yeah. You kept going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for so many days. Yeah. And um, Laquita has been the person that has been on the ground, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, like on the airwaves, like telling people what's happening because the media has yes. been misrepresenting so much of what's happening. That was very important to me. And so Laquita has been like helping people see for themselves if they weren't down there, on you know, on the ground themselves, what's happening. And what have you seen? Um, so when I first got down there, I was so excited that so many people were as pissed off as I was and to see how many people came out. And, um, it was, it was a wonderful experience because again, it felt, it felt like everyone is caring and paying attention. Mm -hmm. And then after a day of passed, (laughs) a next day, I started noticing the difference in the protesters. I started noticing the differences in the mission, and I noticed that there wasn't very many people of color. So as a person of color, I felt it was important for me to document this on the street level um, because I don't want the, we got to create our own narrative. Mm. Um, And I I, I don't want to be too negative because I appreciate everyone who did show up, but I did notice that the way they did things would not be the way that black people necessarily would have done things. For sure. Um, and and so, that's not negative. It's just naming it. Yeah, you know? naming it's what it. what you saw. And at first I was like, you know what? Maybe it's because I'm black and they're white and this is the way that they fight. So I appreciate you showing up. <laughs> but after a while, right, I started seeing people taunting the police. I started seeing groups that were becoming in, in all black and um, in the middle. I, I stayed out there till one o'clock in the morning one night following this one group because I had a feeling that they were the ones who were setting the fires and mm. at this time the police are mad and where i'm trying to figure out how all these businesses are being um burglarized but there's a hundred police right here with me 
while I'm holding a sign. Like, how yeah. is all this happening when there's so many police down here? And um, I just wanted to do some investigating from my own knowledge. And, yeah, there were some people there that absolutely were hijacking our movement. They did the same thing with Black Lives Matter. And... Um, Say more about what that looked like. Like, what did the hijacking the movement kind of look and sound like? Well, I noticed that this particular group um, would kind of infiltrate our group and be with us, um, but they would dress differently and they would come toward the end of the protest. Let's say if the protest was to end at 8 o'clock, they would come about 7.30 and assemble. And they had their own plan, their own meetings, their own things. And you would never see them with the protesters. They would always be a block or two away um, or behind. And I... I have a fire extinguisher in my house from snatching one from a young white guy that thought that he was going to be busting out windows. And I was like, no, that's not, that is not for George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. So remember, I don't want to sound like I'm not appreciative, but I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to break that in the name of Breonna Taylor. If you're going to break that, you're going to break that because you're bored. You wanted something to do and you came down here to create chaos. Um, We have not been creating chaos. We have been trying to spread a message. Um, well, and you knew their actions were going to reflect on the entire movement. And it absolutely like did. Yeah. And it absolutely did. Um, you would hear more about the broken windows and the spray paint than you would hear about um, the black the black kids that were coming out there with the poems mm-hmm. and all the talented people yeah. uh, standing up. One thing they don't show enough of is black people standing together. Yes. And so you really, they never really show the black leaders leading. And there are many of them that are leading and have many followers. Yeah. And I think like for me, it's been really important to help people see like black leadership isn't one type of thing. Right. right. And so it's not like, yeah, because there's of course there's confusion and conflict and what do we do and how do we do it? But what we do know is that these young white dudes who are hijacking the movement. That's not it. They got, <laughs> that's, that's not, not it. it. I'm going to tell you what we don't do. Yeah. We don't run up to the police and say F the police. We don't taunt them. We don't, we're mm-hmm. not even there to fight the police. We're there because we're tired of the police killing us. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to show them in numbers that we're just really, you cannot continue to kill our young boys. We have enough to deal with out here already. Yep. And you're the police and, and the mass media believes you. Society mm-hmm. always believes you. But we don't care because we've always been in this world with you and we're standing up for ourselves. You're going to stop doing this. So, And the message gets lost when the when white people get here who's never experienced that, don't know what it is. They're trying to do a five-minute talk with me and use that as saying that they're outraged. But really, you're bored. Mm. Um, you, yeah, the pandemic. You wanted to come tear some stuff up. That, it was a perfect <sighs> storm, right? It's, it's interesting, right? Because in some ways, at least from my perspective, I'm curious what you think, in some ways the pandemic allowed there to be a big moment where yes. people showed up yes. you know and in other ways the pandemic did mean that there were a lot of like angsty young kids who were like yeah i'm gonna go vandalize some shit you know yeah. and like not again not in the name of brown taylor we would never rob abercrombie and finch <laughs> okay if we're gonna rob something it would be the nike <laughs> store we would never hit the probation office okay we don't. We need our probation to go through. There's some places black people just won't do. We will not be at the graveyard at nighttime, okay? So some things I knew we didn't do. <laughs> You've got your meter. Yes. Like, bullshit meter. Yes. Like, this isn't this it. This ain't us. <laughs> okay. You heard it here, folks. Yes. If it's Abercrombie and Fish. Bitch, it was not us. <laughs> We're not going to rob a yogurt store. We want those snapbacks, Okay. And those jerseys and J's. And even then, it probably ain't us. Because to be honest with you, we're going to let you go in first. And yeah. then we're going to find out. 
Now you'll have a couple that are running after you, but we're not hitting the window first. We're going to see what happens. You know, stand back. I mean, because we could barely ride the light rail without being harassed. So we sure not going to bust out no windows because we know what they do to us, right? So we, we let them go. And I'm not going to say a couple of brothers didn't run in there afterwards. <laughs> but, yeah, that wasn't us. I have a question for you. So what's something that's been in the news lately that's been really interesting is the Portland moms. Have you seen the yes. white Portland moms? Yes, and those, the Leaf Floor dads. <laughs> the who? You saw the dads showed up the no. day after. They were out here last oh, night. They were dads. out here last night. In downtown Denver. Snaps for dads. So they came out there and had wind blowers, and so whenever they tried to shoot them at the moms, they would they would leaf blow the gas back. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating when moms show up. Yeah. Um. You know, the, in some way, like y'all are the the litmus test, like the canary in the coal mine of like, oh no, we're not standing for this. Yeah. You know, like like you were saying, you're already so overworked just being a mom let alone a mom in a pandemic it's just hard and it's been a four-month summer by the way (laughs) yeah and so when white moms show up because they're seeing this is a real problem like how do you interpret that like what does that mean to you and it doesn't have to be good or bad. Just like what, like what's kind of your gut reaction to that? My gut reaction to these were older women. This was a, um, and I think that I really appreciate them because I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not gonna hit get hit by no gas. I'm mm-hmm. gonna keep my car next to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting hit by rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. Like I believe in this and everything, but I also gotta go back home and do yep. with the police with those rubber bullets yep. and that gas and all that stuff yep. in our communities. So at a protest. To see these women willing to be hurt, this is exactly the Civil War, the same thing with Martin Luther King. It took white people to stand with us to change that. And black people cannot change racism. Mm. White people do. So I feel like I admire them because these weren't no spring, these weren't spring chickens. These were real moms, you know? (laughs) Real moms. They were real moms. Mm -hmm. And so I admired that and um, I appreciate them so much for that. And it's such an interesting thing because we've talked about this, like white people should not center themselves. They should not be, you know, the center, the headline of the movement. But like you said, there is a role for white people in this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is like liberate yourself, right? Because you are you have been suffering from the way that you that the system is set up like yep. they don't think it they think like i'm writing easy and in many ways like that privilege blinds them from the ways that it's destroying their souls you know yeah. to like act this i way. would appreciate it more if they went to work and told that racist co-worker don't yeah. say that i'd appreciate it more if they tell that boss that that black girl actually did a very good job mm. i'd appreciate it more if they weren't so critical when they see that girl that black girl with the three babies you know in the store she's frustrated i'd appreciate when they're out in the world that they actually detect this activism i mean all coming together and making the news that's fun um but i really needed to change because this isn't a protest for me this is my life this is yeah. what we deal with all of the time and guess what? We still could be around them and not be angry and still be. I can still appreciate what they're doing, even though I've been going through this all of my life. And when you show up when it's convenient for you, I, you know, it could be like a lot of people, you know, kind of dismiss them because, you know, it's like, well, they're just they're just doing it now. Why weren't they here or there or there? I just appreciate you showing up now. But I really need you to do this at home. It's I need you to do this beginning. in the grocery store. Yeah. If you see someone following a black girl in the store, follow the person that's following the person. Mm-hmm. 
Um, film everything when it comes to the police. Talk to your kids. Um, if you see a, a black kid that's bullying, let's say you have a kid um, that you know this kid isn't really being right and he needs some help, really try to help this kid. Mm -hmm. Don't call the police. That never works for our community. Yep. See what you can do. Gain the trust of that kid. Feed that kid. That kid has some issues. Just care, for yeah. real, on a basic level. Yeah, it's deeper work. And that's the problem, I think, with, with what's been happening with the movement is it's very performative, right? It's yeah. like, we didn't set a stage for you to tap dance on white people. Like, that's not what this is about. And I appreciate any way you want to help. Um, but I need for you to help when that black person is in your store. I need you to look around and see if your staff has a staff has any black leadership. Mm. And I also need for you to understand that we don't talk like you, act like you, dress like you. Our hair isn't like yours. So because we come in looking a little different, just get to know us a little bit. Because we think your hair can look a little weird. We don't really, we don't, <laughs> you know, we just don't ride the same way. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't respect each other. Absolutely. And we don't want to be white. We want to be no. black. So we should no. be able to be so no matter where we are because it's dope. Hell yeah. It's so good. And even just you saying all that is very generous of you because, um, yeah, like white people are always asking, like, what am I supposed to do? Not my job. Yeah. Oh, I've been. I you. literally posted a story on Facebook or somewhere, and someone's like, "Where can I find this information?" <laughs> I'm pretty sure you learned how to copy and paste and do research <laughs> a long time ago. I mean, I didn't want to. But this is not fun. Like, can I do that PSA real quick? This is not fun for Black women. This is not fun for black folks this is not something that we want to do it is tiring on top of everything else so then to have to stop and explain to you and if anyone does explain to you or give you a tip of what you're looking for please thank them uh for doing that because it is not our job to educate you we have to learn this the hard way do our own research on our own because mm -hmm. as we know the school system yes. does not teach us anything no. about us so we have to do the hard work and we also have to uh process that and then still be okay and still be able to work with you and still be able to keep an open mind that people are people no matter what we read and you know it's important for you to allow us to be black and to look black and talk black and act black um because i think that we're getting a little tired of wearing the different hats i know i am and this is going to be the first year i'm at work where they're going to say my whole name i will not be mrs q this year mrs. i will be laquita uh, is that what you went by at the Cherry Creek School? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, every school. I've been every in school five school. years. No school has said my name. I've always been Mrs. Q. Oh, they're going to learn that name. Oh, yeah. They won't even say Macaulay. Oh, what? So I'm demanding it this year. I'm going to stand up for myself because I deserve That's my name right. to be said. Wow. Okay, I have another question. So for you, not for white people, for you, what is something you've been reading, watching, or listening to, just something that you've been taking in that's like, expanding your vision and feeding you and healing you like is there anything that you're like seeing or reading or following like that's just like this absolutely um ti trey band all these rappers my girl tamika mallory i see i see all of my black folks my my real black folks from the street where i'm from paying attention i got my little sister who got tattoos on her neck talking about go vote okay so i'm watching young people become involved um, in my community they know what's going on they're they're not just talking um something they read on a Facebook post, but they're actually speaking real facts. These are young kids. Yeah. So to see black people who didn't really, you know, particularly care, start to care, and they speak my kind of language, right? Yeah. 
where I can speak my ebonics. I don't have to nest. You know what I'm saying? I can talk for real. And there, we're really talking politics, even if they're smoking or blowing or drinking a beer. Yes. Um, they're talking real stuff and paying yeah. attention. Rap music, little baby, dub baby, all these these young rappers are now paying attention mm-hmm. to the point to where they're doing something, yeah. and that just warms my heart. Like I was, I'm like, that's where you go. That's where you yes. go to recharge. Because when the hood starts paying attention. You know, it's, it's just, it's really a beautiful thing. It goes to show that what they say about us. Even, I don't care if he, his, like I said, his pants are sagging. He has dreads. He's standing outside. And he's talking real knowledge to these young boys. And it's just really, really dope to see. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think I've had the most fun at these protests. <laughs> just because Seriously. it was the first time I could hang out all day long, yes. all night long, and I wasn't the target of being watched. Right. Um, I was able, I felt protected with all those, the, the white people around mm-hmm. to where I can actually just sit back and chill and kick it. Wow. I always say I won't go to a protest if it ain't a bunch of white folks because mm. I, I, it's not safe for me. And once we leave there, they go home, the white folks go home. We do too. Um, but the black man will always have a target on his back. Because remember, we still don't even have the cops, uh, you know, charged with Elijah McClain. We still have no justice for Breonna Taylor. Yeah. So how am I going to tell my brother to go out there and risk his life when he risks his life just waking up every day? Hmm. I don't like to shove this down people's throats, you know. My friends don't want to hear about this all the time. <laughs> so I appreciate you being that person where we can have my safe place where I can have these conversations with you and be honest because it's really not that many places that we get to do so. And I love you. I love you. You know that. No, thank, and thank you. I know, I mean, in, in many ways we share a lot in common and in many ways we have really different lives and it's just been such a gift to be your neighbor and friend and... Escape. Uh, save, save. From the beginning. <laughs> From the beginning. My sister in the fight. And even if we're just fighting over the next recipe at the Kansas, <laughs> like literally, we are we're you're good people and I really appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you. You don't find too many people uh, like you. So I'm no. gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you too. I respect you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. I hope that you'll check out our links in our show notes because we do have some good stuff referenced in this episode. And I also want to invite you to listen to an extended conversation with Laquita. We went to so many different places and had such a good conversation, which um, ultimately I'm kind of describing as Denver disparities. Laquita just really opened up and shared about the range of disparities she's experienced as a black single mom here in Denver. Again, I'm Rebecca Mendoza-Nunziato, your host and conversation partner for this show, Decolonize Everything. And I hope that this has been an opportunity to disrupt the status quo and support new consciousness and liberation. Go forth and decolonize everything together. Thank you for listening.